Welcome back to the audio production of A Lesson in Swimming, written and performed by Michael Shutt. I'm the show's director and dramaturg, Diana Wyan, and we're thrilled to have you back with us. When we last left Michael, he was waking up from a brain biopsy with his parents by his side. And now, chapter four of A Lesson in Swimming. Well, I've never seen anyone with so many friends. You have a lounge full of people waiting to see you. Okay, can, can you send Tom in? Oh, honey, I, I don't think he's here yet. Why don't I send in someone else? No, just stay. Later that day, they moved me to the surgical recovery wing. And then a few days later, back to the stroke unit. I spend those days drifting in and out of sleep, not remembering much, including the fact that one-third of my head is now shaved and I have a big scar running down the back, which comes as a horrifying shock every time I look into the mirror. There's a stop sign at the foot of my bed. Well, not a literal stop sign, but a poster of one, with a very clear message in big, bold letters. Stop! You are a fall risk. Do not get out of bed without assistance. I hate that sign. It makes me feel like a bad child. Do not get out of bed. I'm 49 years old. If I want to get out of bed, I'll get out of bed. I don't need permission to get out of bed. Okay, okay, maybe I do. As much as I hate to admit it, I do need help. And I am a fall risk. See, my left leg doesn't work anymore. Neither does my left arm or, or hand. I, I don't remember things anymore either, like what day it is or who's come to visit. When the doctors make their rounds and ask me to hold up my arms like I'm holding a pizza box, my left arm falls. When they ask me to lift my feet so they can push against them, I can only lift my right leg. Probably just a reaction to the anesthesia working its way through your system. Everything should be back to normal in a day or two. If you ever want a lesson in humility, have a stroke. I am so sick of having to ask permission to use the bathroom and then have someone sit in there with me while I use it. I get angry every time they set an alarm on the bed, and I am furious at the lies that years of watching gay porn have taught me about being showered by a male nurse. There is nothing sexy about it at all. And then one morning, I wake up, the stop sign is gone. I'm staring straight ahead and the sign isn't there. Or is it? Something's there. The, the P, I think? But the rest of the sign is gone? No, no, no not really. It's just moved. Sh shifted? If I turn my head all the way to the left, I can see more of it. But if I look straight at it, it disappears. But it's in the same place. Somebody speaks. Where, where are they? Where do they come from? It, it's my nurse, and she's getting ready to take my vitals, but I, I, I can't see her. It's like she's hidden. I, I'm very confused. I turn and look back at the sign, but I can still only see a part of it. I, I, I am confused all day. I can't read the whiteboard that hangs on my wall. I, I can't 
read the clock. My phone dings, and I look to check my texts, but I can't read the phone. Everything is off. The lights seem brighter. The sounds seem louder. I can even smell the lunch tray before they bring it into my room. I'm off all day. I'm short with everyone. I I just want to be left alone, but no one leaves me alone. I snap at my parents. I yell at the lunch lady, and I kick the cleaning lady out of my room. Up until today, I've been a model patient. But today, I'm pure reaction. Today, I'm a fucking prick. They don't call this one a stroke. They keep calling it an event, which to me sounds like something that I'd wear a tux to and drink champagne instead of going for my third MRI in a week. Something definitely shows up in the MRI, but because it appears in the exact same spot as the previous one, they hesitate to label it. But you don't lose your vision and your ability to walk at a cocktail party. Okay, maybe once. The confusion with seeing the stop sign, I later learn, is due to an abnormality known as homonymous hemonopsia, a condition where although my eyes work fine, my brain can no longer process anything in one or more of my visual fields. Lucky me. I got or more. I lost all the vision in my left peripheral field as well as my lower. Basically, All I can see now is anything in my upper right quadrant. I only see a quarter of what you do. Losing my peripheral vision, I automatically lose my depth perception. It's like a free gift with purchase. The event also left me with double vision. So does it really matter if I can only see a quarter of what everyone else does if I see it doubled? It's kind of like walking around all day wearing... 3D kaleidoscope glasses. Oh, and it also left me face blind, which means that I can look at someone's face and see two eyes, a nose, and a mouth, but my brain no longer processes that that particular set of eyes, nose, and mouth add up to a specific person. I can no longer identify people by looking at their faces. So I have to identify people in other ways, such as recognizing their voice, memorizing what they're wearing. What I most often do now, I just pick up on people's energies like babies and dogs do. It's amazing how you really get to see who someone is when you can no longer see them. Oh, oh, oh God. Sorry, I didn't see you there. A priest introduces himself and asks if it would be all right if he says a little prayer for me. Now, As a recovering Catholic, when a priest suddenly appears out of nowhere and asks if they can pray for you, you don't say no. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. Our Father. This is nice and all, but I really don't understand why he's here. How does he know I'm in the hospital? How does he know I'm Catholic? Why is he here? As he continues to pray, he places his hands over mine, and the strangest feeling comes over me. A warmth goes through my body. I feel special. I've never had a priest pray just for me before. And I feel selfish. 
Who am I to have a priest praying just for me? He shouldn't be using up his prayers on me. I'm sure there are other people here with bigger problems, bigger needs. And that's when I feel it. A presence. I, I won't go so far as to say that I feel the presence of God. Uh, again, who, who am I to feel the presence of God? But I do think that I might be in the presence of an angel. A big, strong, muscular, blonde angel with enormous wings who picks me up and wraps me in his wings and holds me as tight as he can. And for the first time since I've been in the hospital, I feel comforted, protected, and quieted. I feel but deliver us from peace. Please take care of Michael. Wait, what did he just say? Did he just say, please take care of Michael? Or did he say, please take Michael? Those are two very different things. Are these my last rites? Holy Mother, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. The hour of our death? Amen. Amen? Michael, you're in God's hands now. I'll see you soon. What? No. No, 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 no. Mom? Mom? Did you ask him to come in? Who? Who do you think? The priest. Did you ask for him? Did you go get him? Honey, I've never seen him before in my life. Then how did he know to come in here? Why was he here? How the hell do I know? Is there something you're not telling me? Did my biopsy results come back? Are you not telling me something. Why would you? Did you hear what he said? I can't hear a damn thing anyone says. I could kick myself for not getting hearing aids. Were those my last rites? What? Were those my last rites? Am I dying? And were those my last rites? Oh, honey. I hope not. What? I said, I hope not. Do you have any idea how much it costs to fly a body cross-country? It's astronomical. That's why I keep saying we should get you out of here and into a hospital in Boston. That way, if anything happens, you're already home. There are very good doctors back in Boston, you know, and we already have a plot for you. Thankfully, your father took care of that years ago. Oh, that was the damnedest Christmas I can remember. You kids thought you were getting TVs for your rooms, but instead, your father got us all cemetery plots. He was so proud of that. Oh, he is horrible at picking out gifts. He's great at wrapping them, but horrible at picking them out. Although it is kind of hard to wrap a cemetery plot. Do you remember that? You had a scowl on your face for weeks. But that's why you should come home. It just costs too much money to fly a body cross-country. Well, they finally do transfer me. Not to Boston, but to the rehabilitation unit where I go through rigorous amounts of visual, occupational, and physical therapies. 100, 93, 86, 79, 72, 65, 58, I'm so sick of coming backward from 100 by 7s, but that's my task. 
walk up and down the hallway of the rehab unit, supported by my walker, scanning my head to the left, compensating for my new lack of peripheral vision, all the while counting backward from a hundred by sevens, without losing my balance, walking into a wall or into another patient. 51, 44, 37. We're multitasking, Chin, my physical therapist tells me. Chin is trying to get me to reestablish neurological connections by working two different parts of the brain at the same time. The alternative, counting backwards from 100 by 7s, is doing all of the above while singing a song. I really want to sing. I love to sing. Nothing makes me happier than singing. And after three strokes, I could use a little happy. I mean, there's a lot to get used to post-stroke. And joy isn't really on the menu. Vision loss is, paralysis is, and doubting my mind is. I forget things now. I can never remember what day it is, and I often have no idea if a conversation that I'm referencing actually happened or if I'm imagining it in my head. But harder than losing my mind has been losing my voice. People now speak for me, to me. See, when you have a stroke, well-meaning friends and family try to help you, but because they can never really see how deep the cracks really go, they don't understand what's helpful and what isn't. When you have a stroke and you start talking, you may lose a word or two here or there. That's a symptom of aphasia, a common side effect of strokes. You forget words, names, dates, places. But part of your recovery is slowing down, figuring out a way to connect the dots, remember the word, and ultimately make that neurological connection. That's a big part of your work. So when I go blank and lose a word right as it's coming out of my mouth and then take a beat to try to figure out what the word is, inevitably, someone will jump in and fill in the blank for me. I'm a stroke patient, I want to yell, not a fucking Mad Libs. And then I remind myself, you don't yell at people when they're trying to help. I don't need to be fixed. I need to be heard. And I want to speak for myself. I want my voice back. My own voice. And I really want to sing. And here I am, being given the opportunity to sing my heart out as I walk down the hallway, scanning my head to the left, and... I can't. Every time I try to think of a song I want to sing, I go completely blank. I can't remember lyrics. I, I, I can't remember tunes. After over 40 years of singing... I can't remember a single song. So, I count backwards from a hundred by seven. My memory may not work, but somehow my math skills still do. Chin knows I want to sing. She can sense it. I thought for sure you'd sing today. I can't remember any songs. Now, Chin could easily say, Do you know this song? Or do you know this one? and just rattle off a bunch of titles. But she gets that that won't help. Instead, as we're walking down the hallway, she asks, So, how's your mother holding up? Mm, she's good. 
She says she's never been so cold in her life as she is here in California. And I have to remind her that she's from New England, so she has definitely been colder. And then I point out that we're in a hospital, and they purposefully keep the hospital cold, and I suggest that maybe she should bring a sweater. (laughs) Your mother is funny. Yeah, that's one word for it. If you were going to sing a song about your mother, what would you sing? I, I don't know. She's got a way about her. I don't know what it is, but I know that I can't live without her. Keep walking and keep singing. She comes to me when I'm feeling down, inspires me without a sound. She touches me. And I get turned around. I don't know where this came from. I haven't thought of that song in years. I, I, I sang it once about 15 years ago and dedicated it to my mom when I sang it. But obviously something stuck because it's all here. The, the lyrics, the tune, even the memory of singing it, where I was standing, what I was wearing, it all comes flooding back. A part of my brain just unlocked and Chin was the one to find the key. Trying to remember the notes wasn't doing it. Trying to remember the lyrics wasn't doing it. But finding the emotional connection, that's what did it. Over the next couple of weeks, we keep taking our show tune walks, as I call them. Each day, she asks me about a different person. And each day, a new song comes out. And with it, a new memory. When she asks about my dad, I sing... Out in the West Texas town of El Paso, I fell in love with a Mexican girl. I've never been to El Paso. But I immediately flash back 35 years to our family road trip vacations in our black Ford LTD with electric windows, power locks, and an 8-track player. We thought we were so fancy. Just not fancy enough to own more than two 8-track tapes. (laughs) And my dad's favorite of the two? Marty Robbins' Gunfighter Ballads and Trail Songs. When she asks about my cats, I sing James Taylor's Whenever I see your smiling face, I have to smile myself because I love you. Yes, I do. (laughs) And up comes the memory of the two of them diving under my covers and wrapping their paws around my legs during an earthquake. We're doing it. I'm walking, I'm singing, and I'm not falling over. And with each song, I unlock more and more of my memory. And I'm happy. People that I pass in the hall applaud. And Chin says, you have fans. We keep at this. Chin always excited to see what song I'm going to sing next. Then one day, she throws me a curveball. Today, I want you to sing about you. I could while away the hours, conferring with the flowers, consulting with the rain. And my head, I'd be scratching while my thoughts are busy hatching if I only had a... Where did that come from? Oh, it's from a commercial that plays incessantly late at night when I watch TV. After everyone goes home. Thanks for listening to Chapter 4 of A Lesson in Swimming. If you enjoyed it, please be sure to share, subscribe, rate, and review. And if you want more, head to michaelshutt.com, where you'll find Chapter 5, the rest of the series, and more. 
This audio production is produced by Plainwood Productions. Sound designed and engineered by John Zalewski. Dramaturged and directed by me, Diana Wyan, and written and performed by Michael Shutt. It is supported in part by the California Arts Council, a state agency, and the National Arts and Disability Center at the University of California, Los Angeles. Thank you.